Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Infinite Potential of Being Human podcast, a space where we will be revealing what is it that is getting in the way of our potential as human beings, as a species, diving into a deep inquiry into body-mind consciousness, our way of being on the planet today, and our current relationship with our reality and with reality itself. My name is Nikki Clinch. I am your host. I will be sharing the science, research, and evidence, and coming into this podcast from the paradigm of ontology, looking at why you are the way you are, not as a you problem, but looking at it from the context of a human problem. This is not about you. This is about being human. My intention is that in this podcast, you will discover so many blind spots that are running you and your life and how reality is unfolding and that you can start to experience yourself as part of the human species rather than just an individual stuck in a story trying to solve your own problems. This is the time now on our planet to remember and embody and realize our infinite potential as a species. If you wanna dive even deeper beyond this podcast, you can download our 21 days of expansion, 21 powerful body-mind ontological activations, meditations for you to be able to work with your own rewiring and neural pathways to be able to create a fundamental shift in how you experience yourself, how you experience your reality and the way in which you are a co-creator in the world that you are getting. So just hit the link below to download 21 days and that can be yours starting now. But for now, let's dive into this podcast, The Infinite Potential of Being Human. I am so excited for you to explore and inquire and receive all the teachings and richness and education of the episodes ahead. Thank you so much. I'm Nikki Clinch. I'm delighted to be here with you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Infinite Potential of Being Human podcast. My name is Nikki Clinch, and I am your host. Welcome, welcome, welcome back this week to this week's episode it certainly has been an intense time the last few weeks. I don't know whether you've been feeling it, but the, it just feels like everybody that I'm speaking to is going through a massive time, a massive time of change. 2024 seems to have kick-started off with a ruthlessness to be truthful with ourselves and with each other and authentic, which is not an easy commitment to stand by because we have to be willing to look at to ourselves where we have been inauthentic and then be responsible for that. But of course, when we are willing to commit to these things, massive amounts of change and transformation happens quick and fast. And that is what I am hearing a lot of in, from everyone that I've spoken to and including myself. So it has been a very big start to 2024. And I'm sure that when I'm ready, I will personally record some episodes sharing a little bit about what I 
am going through and the change that I'm going through. And, you know, there is some, there are some threads to the opening of what I just said and to today's episode. Today's episode is such a big one. And I think there is the risk of speaking about this topic in a very surface level way. And I really do not want to do that. I want to try to wrestle with this topic from an ontological paradigm. And that of course will mean looking at it in a much, much deeper context. So as always, bear with me while I wrestle with this and try to really distinguish the distinctions here and the blind spots here so that we together can start to shift our entire relationship to this topic, not just as individuals, but as human beings. And of course, everything I discuss here will be in the context of the species, an ontological context. It is not just a you problem, it's a human problem. In fact, one of the gifts of listening to these episodes, I hope for you, is that you start to really experience yourself as a member of the human species, rather than merely your individual self struggling with your individual suffering and your individual problems inside your individual story, which of course is extremely lonely and separate and really quite hopeless, which is the bane of so much suffering on our planet, that when you can really let in these ontological teachings and start to zoom out and see everything that you're hearing here from the context of the species and, and simultaneously hearing your own self inside these teachings, identifying your own self inside these teachings, the gift of that, and it is a tremendous gift, is to come out of that separateness, that hopelessness and begin to experience yourself as a member of this species amongst many, many billions and billions of other members of the same species. So let us dive into today's episode. The topic today is trust versus control. How can we distinguish the two? And I want to try to create that distinction in today's episode. Trust versus control. And I want to begin by speaking about control. That control, you see, we would more often than not think of control as something that we are doing, as if it's merely behavioral or emotional. But it is not just behavioral and emotional. In fact, all emotions and behavior and expression or lack of expression, speech, those are all consequences of the context and the paradigm from which we are coming from that gives us what we say, that gives us what we do, that gives us what we experience 
If you go back and refer to the episodes, What Creates Results, when I speak about context and content, and you go back to the episodes when I, where I speak about body, mind, and identity, and our appearing reality, and the Vicious Circle episode as well as all the earlier episodes when I'm speaking about maturation and the design of the being of human being, it all the content that we get in who we are, the way we speak, the way we behave, who we are being, our way of being is given to us by the context from where we are seeing and living from. And I am saying that control is not just what you do or what you feel or what you say, but it is in itself a context. In fact, we have been in a paradigm of control as a species, individually run by control and living in a paradigm run by control. So I want to speak about this from an ontological context. Control itself is a context from where we have been being, and it has given you your way of being. And what I mean by way of being is the way you are you, the way you breathe, the way you feel, the way you move, the way you walk, which gives you the way you behave, which gives you the way you think. And if you are new to this podcast, I say early on in the podcast, I really question who is this me that you wake up to every single day and you just assume that this is who you are and you get up and you deal with it and and you just are you. You don't run to the bathroom mirror to discover who's going to be there today. You open your eyes and you wake up into the memory of who you are and the way of being of who you are which is given to you by the context from where you are seeing from. And we cannot see our own context. We can only see what the context gives us to see, which is your behavior and your feelings and and the appearing of how your world appears to you. So I'm saying that control itself is a context from where much of the human species have been coming from. It's beginning to change, particularly in the last three years. But before that, it was just inherently normalized as a way of being, of being human. So I want to speak about this on an individual level, meaning how has this context of control run you as an individual? And then I want to speak about it on a societal level. How has it run us as a species on this planet, trying to live together on this planet? So let's just dive in more specifically on what control even is. Really control is doing whatever we can to ensure that something does not happen the way we don't want it to happen. 
doing whatever we can to ensure that we do not get rejected today, doing whatever we can to ensure that we do not get humiliated today, doing whatever we can to ensure that we do not get heartbroken, bankrupt, become homeless, doing whatever we can to ensure that we don't die today. Control is survival. It's led by anxiety. Now, I I wanted to say fear, but actually it's anxiety. And I'm going to go into the distinction of what actually anxiety is, which is a pandemic in itself in the human species right now, anxiety. Doing whatever we can to ensure that something bad doesn't happen today, which of course has nothing to do with living. It's only about trying to not die today in some way, not die through rejection, not die through humiliation, not die through confrontation. Whatever it is that your childhood and family field has given you and shaped how you experience your own identity and your own experience and relationship with with intimacy, go back and listen to that episode, will color what it is that you are inherently needing to try to make sure it doesn't happen today. If you were abandoned as a child, if you were dismissed, if you were ignored, if you were laughed at at school, if you were the small one and judged, if you were the big one and judged, if you were judged by the color of your skin, by the tone of your voice, by the size of your body, whatever it is, if it was part of the earlier years as your identity was being formed, it will be inherently entangled and woven into the very aspects of of what you need to make sure you are in control of and who is the you, the me, the identity that you think you are needs to ensure that they are constantly in some form of control to ensure that whatever happened back then that was extremely painful will never happen again. So the ego itself, the identity itself is led by control. It is a survival mechanism in itself. How much of your life is being used to ensure that things don't happen? Take a moment to really let that question in. How much of your way of being is run and led by ensuring that something doesn't happen? Now, this takes quite a lot of slowing down and self-inquiry and consciousness and compassion to really let a question like that in. How much of your life is being used to control the outcome. And that's either something that you need to have happened 
or something that you need to make sure doesn't happen. But really the, the controlling to need to make sure something does happen is usually because you're trying to make sure that what you don't want to not happen, that it doesn't happen. <laughs> so you are controlling the outcome. How much of your way of being is run and led by control? The way you breathe, the way you hold your body, the way your muscles sit in the body, the way you think of yourself, the way you think of your life, the actions that you don't take or the actions that you do take when you are in relationship with friendships, with partners, with work. Really let that question in. Let your mind just scan through your whole world and let in the levels of control that may be running you. And then ask yourself, is this how I want to use my life? Because whenever I've really asked anybody that question, the answer is always no but they don't know how to get out of it. We are at the moment having a lot of enrollment calls for our program, which is our entry-level program, Listening to Life. It's the big, the way to come into your maturation. It's a very, very, very deep and at times very intense uh, four-day intensive live program, uh, maturation program that we take groups through. And it's really the 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 shift where all our participants see how much the survival mechanism has run them and where it has come from. In fact, the survival mechanism itself is who you think you are. And it has colored and shaped how your entire world and reality appears to you and the way that you are being you in it. And from this way of being led by control, you're going more and more into your life, controlling more and more aspects of it and getting less and less close to what you really want and further and further away from what you really want. And then you control even more. And then that gets you further and further away from what you really want. And, and it just, it's like a never ending hamster wheel of something not quite right, but you don't really know why. And you'll just resign to the fact that this is as good as it gets. The human story is run and led by the human mind. And the only design function of the human mind is to ensure that we survive long enough that, that we can procreate, therefore, and not go extinct. It's mechanical. It is not at all remotely interested in your fulfillment or you achieving your dreams or you getting the love of your life. It, it's not emotional that way. There's no romanticism in it. The human mind is mechanical and its only design function is that you survive. And survival is about not dying. It has nothing to do with living. And so as long as we are run by a context of control, 
which is led by anxiety. We are staying stuck in the limitations of a world that we think this is as good as it gets, where our only options are to try to make sure that something doesn't happen today. Now, if you let this in, it may activate you. It may bring up emotions for you. And I also want to just point out, this isn't, it's not like you're sitting in a dark hole all the time. (laughs) Most of this is completely unconscious. Most of it is just what you have written off as just the way you are. So it's a blind spot. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I know that we are absolutely masterful at working out how to feel better. We will work out millions of billions of ways to try to feel better today. And it works. You know, we can go to the beach, we can lie in the sun, drink some nice juice, have a glass of wine, have some coffee, have a chocolate, whatever. We 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 have a million billion ways so that we can feel a little bit better in this moment or a little bit better today or a little bit better this month. But very, very quickly, do you notice that that feeling of of feeling better is temporary. Eventually it wears off and you're back to the usual underlying anxiety. And I'm going to go into what anxiety really is on an ontological context. Underlying anxiety that then leads you to have to find another way to control. And those control controlling ways can be so subtle from holding your breath and not really breathing properly so that you don't have the full movement of emotion that sits in your body move through you to absolutely not saying what you really think or feel about your own self, about your own life, about anyone around you to not taking any action towards what you really want and and in service of who you really are. That's control in big and middle and and little ways. So control has been a context. It's a paradigm running our systems. And it is an absolute life killer. There is no aliveness inside the story. There's only survival. And we have become masterful at feeling better, but please do not confuse feeling better with freedom. They are not the same things. So let me now move into the bigger context of looking at how control has run us, is running us, and has been running us on a societal level. I'm going to read you some extracts from an article by, and this is actually from my teacher, Dr. David Norris, my mentor. He wrote this article for um, a publication. Um, I'll get the reference point for you in a minute. And he's really speaking about exactly this, trust versus control. But he's speaking about this from a societal context. At its roots, authoritarianism relies on fear, both for it to come to power and for it to remain there. 
this is speaking about where we've been as a paradigm, meaning the leaders and the authority roles in the paradigm that we have been in, the 1%, the bank heads, the political heads, the royal family, everybody who, the leaders that run the world, let's say that. At its root, authoritarianism relies on fear, both for it to come to power and for it to remain there. There are two kinds of fear, which for the purpose of this inquiry, I will distinguish as fear and anxiety. Fear has a specific object, meaning fear has the mind focusing on a specific something. It could be a fear of failing a test or losing one's job or not being liked by one's friends or starving to death or being killed by a perceived enemy. Whether the fear is large or small, real or imagined, held by an individual or by a nation, it has a concrete and nameable object. It is a fear of something. Anxiety, on the other hand, has no specific object. It is the feeling of being threatened by something nebulous and not only unnamed, but unnameable. It is an uneasy sense of dread, even to the point of terror. As such, anxiety is more a feature of the human condition than it is the consequence of any particular outward danger. Anxiety is ridden in the background of the human condition. And that underlying anxiety and our inability to know how to be with it and our inability to know how to be in relationship with it runs our way of being that then is led by control. Now, on a societal level, that has put us in very, very difficult situations as a species, as a society. Authoritarians are adept at tapping into this ontological anxiety, stoking it further, and then presenting themselves as the solution to the problem that they themselves are causing. I was thinking about this the other day. Why is it that every single newspaper that we read is full of negative stories about what's going wrong. Somebody dying, a gang's being doing this, somebody got robbed, somebody got sick. Like every single article, every single day, every news report, every uh, um it's just constant stoking of the ontological anxiety in the species which then of course makes us extremely vulnerable because we have no idea that it's being done and that anxiety itself has no particular focus. So it just activates, rampantly activates our blind spots and unconscious unconsciousness around our survival mechanisms. And then our control just ramps up not just behavioral, but mental. Let me continue. They do this. So presenting themselves as the solution to the problem they themselves are causing. They do this by attaching the anxiety. Remember that anxiety is 
is a threat by something nebulous, unnamed, unnameable. Authoritarians attach the anxiety onto specific fears. The terrorists, the socialists, the Jews, the immigrants, colored people, the rapists, the drug dealers, which they then claim they alone know how to deal with. As soon as anxiety is attached to a nameable fear, a group of citizens can be molded into a mindless mob that can be as violent as it is frightened. This is especially so during times of heightened uncertainty, such as the world is now experiencing, when authoritarians can even more easily position themselves as the strong and capable captain needed to steer the ship of state through the fog. There are now at least five major concerns in the world that are available to wannabe dictators to fuel the anxiety and which lend themselves to be associated with particular objects of fear. The economic consequences of globalization, global climate change, terrorism, large numbers of people migrating from the developing world, and of course, COVID-19. There may soon be others. Anxiety, ontological anxiety, is in the background of the human condition. It sits just constantly running at the base of the human condition. And we don't know that. We deal with it thinking it's just us and it's an individual problem. And then, and then it feeds into our stories that there's something wrong with me. And then it feeds into the filter from which we experienced our childhood. And then that just activates rampantly more layers and levels of control, mostly unconsciously. And then we just keep getting stuck and stuck and stuck and stuck. And then we lose our power because we, we don't know how to trust ourselves. We have nothing to hold on to. And we give all our power away to external factors that are promising us the ability to give us the answers because anxiety is unnameable. And so you can hear, this is really disempowering, not just as a species, but for you in your life. So what's trust? So trust is also not just something that you do, or think, or feel, or say. Trust is also a paradigm. Trust is the context from which we can be and see and live that gives us an entire way of being. Trust is a paradigm that can become available to us when we have outgrown the survival mechanism. In maturation, when you are ready to step into your maturation, what really we are doing is we are outgrowing our blind spots that keep us in attachments to who we think we are, which is a survival mechanism given to us by our past, led by trauma, led by pain, led by survival outgrowing who we think we are, maturing beyond that child survival immaturity in order to give us a new paradigm from which to be. 
in order to give us a new paradigm from which to live. Imagine having a new relationship, a completely empowering, liberating relationship with this mechanism that that runs us. Us. It's not just a you problem. It's a human problem. Trust in itself is a paradigm from which to come from. Knowing that ultimately we don't know. If you think about it, what are we actually trying to control? We're trying to control what we don't know so that we know. But do we ever really know? Are we ever really in control? Really? We are moving into a new paradigm. We as a species are going through our own maturation. And we have entered a new paradigm where ultimately we are starting to get a sense that we don't know. In fact, that it is even possible, is it even possible to know at all? We are starting to enter a new way of seeing that this this attachment to control and knowing and guarantees is an illusion. No one knows. We may pretend that we know because we're so uncomfortable with not knowing, but no one really knows. What is it that you really know for certain, really? If you really question how much you are clinging onto as absolutely certain, how much is that is based on conditioning, based on survival, based on blind spots? Ultimately, we don't know. And in fact, is it even possible to know it all? We are entering into a paradigm where the invitation is to be in this abyss of unknowing, which is actually what has always been. And how much can we allow ourselves to be in this unknowing? When we do commit ourselves to our own maturation, if you listen to all the episodes leading up to this one, outgrowing the attachments of what has been running our way of being, outgrowing our attachments to the way in which the mind has run our appearing of reality, outgrowing our resistance to being responsible, fully self-responsible, fully sovereign for who we are in our way of being. We are that powerful. Let me read you this. To live not knowing that you to live knowing that you ultimately don't know. And in fact, that it is even possible that it isn't even possible to know is to enter an abyss of profound meaninglessness. We are so attached to meaning. What does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? But really, if we allow ourselves to enter the abyss of maybe it doesn't, maybe the meaning is just more story. It was, is the experience of this abyss that Nietzsche gazed into and that Tillich, the theologian, considered the primary hallmark of our time. 
And in the political domain, it is this anxiety born of this meaningless, this abyss, this not knowingness that plays directly into the hands of the 21st century autocrats. Here is Tillich from his book, The Courage to Be, which first appeared in 1952. 20th century man and woman has lost a meaningful world and a self which lives in meanings out of a spiritual center. The man-created world of objects has drawn into itself him who created it and who now loses his subjectivity in it. The anxiety of doubt and meaningless is, as we have seen, the anxiety of our period. For us today, it is the confrontation with the bleak not knowing, this abyss of space that allows us to develop a new relationship with who we are being in it. As Tillich might put it, so long as we can't find within ourselves the courage to be in the face of the anxiety inherent in being human, many of us will continue to avoid the responsibility of freedom and will rather seek to be temporarily soothed by feeling better. Our invitation in order to embody the context of trust is a courage to be in the face of the anxiety that sits underlying the human condition. Anxiety is the fear that's present without anything really attached to it, but the mind will attach whatever it can. My body, my money, my bank account, my this, my that, my blah, blah, blah. But when we can actually shift our relationship to how the mind attaches to subject and something and be with this inherent anxiety, it allows us to start to develop a whole new relationship with who we're being based on trust. Trust is a paradigm. It's a context. Who would you even be if all your behavior and all your speech and all your expression was born and given to you from trust, how would you live? How would you be with yourself? What would you say that maybe you're not saying? What would you not say that maybe you've been saying too much of? What would you surrender? What would you release? What action would you take? What commitment would you make? There are two kinds of trust and both of them are an invitation for us to commit to. Firstly, trust in who you are. Not in what you do, not in what you feel, not in what you think because all those things are like the weather. Your behavior is you absolutely will mess up. In fact, human beings are inherently unreliable. 100% we will make mistakes. 100% we will get it wrong. We will fail. Our feelings are like the weather. They literally change at the drop of a hat. One minute it's cloudy, the next minute it's sunny, the next minute it's stormy. Your thoughts, we have 80,000 thoughts that cross the mind every 24 hours. They're just, it's just part of the system. So don't base your relationship with your ability to trust yourself on any of those things. 
But can you trust in who you truly are beyond all of that? Trusting and knowing that no matter what will happen or unfold in your life, you can trust who you are to show up in a mature and conscious way and dance with life in whatever way is needed in order to serve the purpose and the vision and the calling of your life. So that's the first invitation of trust. It's not a small one. In fact, it requires an enormous amount of self-work to do on yourself. It requires an enormous amount of maturation, the ability to trust in who I am. When you trust in who you are, then you can navigate through any storm You can take whatever risks you need to take and deal with whatever consequences come with it, knowing that as a human being, you are inherently imperfect. And then there's the second trust, both of which together are fundamental. And that is trust in life. Now, I don't mean, oh, I give everything up to life. Take it, take it. I trust you life, which is like a child with mommy. No. Trust in the universal flow of life. Life is ever flowing, moving, changing. It's it's inherently alive. It is flow. And when we are in relationship with life, rather than with our leaders or with our or giving the power to something external and outside of ourselves, that our greatest commitment and relationship is in our relationship with life, that when we trust in life, that life holds us, then we can dance with life in whatever way is needed in each given moment. Trust in who you are and trust in life. I always say to my clients and my students, you may see me as your teacher, but I am just the assistant teacher your master teacher is life. Inherently, if we have done our job well in your maturation process, then the relationship that you have with life and you have with yourself has deepened tremendously that you can trust in who you are and you can trust in life. And that gives you an entire new paradigm from which to live your life from. It gives you a whole new possibility of a way of being. Now imagine if that isn't just directed at you as an individual, but we as a species. That's my vision for our world. That really is at the heart of, I realize everything that I do, that's why I put out this podcast. That's what I want for our species. That's why we lead the programs that I lead. That's why we offer the work that we do so that inherently at the end of this process, however long you want to stay in it, the relationship that you have with life and with yourself has become profoundly unshakable, profoundly empowering, anchored, centered, rooted, present, and based and led by trust. Well, then you become an extraordinarily powerful being. In fact, anything is possible. So I'm going to leave you there. 
I think that that wrestle was was okay. <laughs> I hope it was okay for you. I hope that landed for you. As always, go away and pick up your journal. And I think the first thing to do is just, just write a stream of consciousness on everything that's kind of landed for you based on what you've heard in this episode. And you may need to listen to it again because there was so much in it. And do this exercise. If control has been the context that has run my world, list like 50 ways that control has been running your world. And then right underneath it, how much has this genuinely served the fulfillment and the experience of my life? And then underneath that, I want you to write, who would I even be and what would even be possible if trust was the very paradigm from which I lived my entire world from? And I trust who I am and I trusted in life. 100%. What becomes possible? Ooh, I just got shivers. <laughs> so I hope that this has been useful for you and it has given you what you needed today. If you have loved this episode, please do share it with anybody that you think it will serve. That really is the best way to spread this podcast far and wide. Remember, this is not a you problem. This is a human problem. Share it with your friends, share it with anybody that you think it would serve. And if you want to support the podcast, if you are finding it really useful, the best thing that you can do for us is head over to Spotify or Apple and give us a star rating. I don't think Spotify offers written reviews, but head if you can write a written review, head over to Apple and write a written review. But more importantly, it is the amount of listens and downloads that we get. So share it, share it, share it, share it. Spread the word, talk about it. It's the best way to spread this podcast far and wide. So thank you all so much. I love being here with you all. Thank you so much for listening. This is the Infinite Potential of Being Human podcast. My name is Nikki Clinch. See you next week. That's it, folks. Thank you so much for listening to the Infinite Potential of Being Human podcast with myself, Nikki Clinch, as your host. If you want to ensure that you experience a fundamental shift, not just in how you are living your life, but in who you are being in it, a paradigm shift in who you are being starting now. Please download our 21 days of expansion activation process. 21 activations for 21 days of body, mind, ontological activations for you to be able to work with you both in the experiential aspects of your body and the wiring of your neural pathways in your mind. You can own this for the rest of your life and create that shift starting now. From this place, you can discover the infinite potential of being human and the aspects of the power and the aliveness that is waiting for you to discover it and realize it now. So download the link below to access your 21 days of expansion and let us know how those shifts start landing in your world. Thank you so much for listening. This is the Infinite Potential of Being Human podcast with Nikki Clinch. I will see you next week.